Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Peak Mindset Podcast. Today, I have Jennifer Oyoung-Altman as our guest, and super excited for you guys to hear about her story and about her as a coach. So Jen is the CEO and founder of Inner Radio, which is an executive coaching company, and she also coaches leaders at the Stanford GSB and Berkeley Haas executive programs. She also works as a facilitator for Interpersonal Dynamics, also known as Touchy Feely, which is the GSB's most popular elective. And uh, her work has also been published by the LA Times. Um, Jen, welcome. Hi, Jenna. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you. Ever since I started the podcast, um, I've been really excited to have you as a guest. Um, so super excited for this conversation to come. Oh, definitely. Let's do it. So Jen, tell me a bit about what drew you to coaching. Oh, what drew me to coaching. So this, of course, the the pieces all are so much more clear looking back. Uh, but I, <laughs> this actually started maybe 10 years ago. I was in this quarter life crisis stage, not feeling terribly inspired by my work. And a few of my friends were kind of in the same funk. And I was just remember thinking, wow, that's a real shame because we spend a whole lot of time at work. And, you know, wow, wouldn't it be cool to spend my work helping other people feel good about how they work? So I joined a coaching startup and I remember just being so fired up talking to people about the possibility of feeling proud, of feeling confident in the way they engage with the world. And that's how I wanted to feel. And it turns out talking about coaching made me feel that way. So uh, in retrospect, I look back and say, oh, wow, I, I obviously loved selling that product. I didn't know I was doing sales at the time. It's just part of the job that I love. So you know, no surprise, I ended up in sales roles throughout my career. And I realized that sales is about listening and storytelling, being a detective, um, you know, a combination of being someone's champion and also challenging the assumptions that are holding them back um, to ultimately help them see the world in a new way. And that was a ton of fun, super hard, but it's very fun. And at some point, you know, the common through line I saw was that the, those same skills of listening, being a storyteller, you know, helping someone connect the dots and holding them accountable, um, lend themselves well to coaching. And at a certain point, I was deciding, hey, what's next for me professionally? So I did this reflection exercise and I asked myself, well, if I could do anything, what would it be? And when I what came to mind was I'd be a coach. I'd have a group of clients that I would coach and I would help them achieve their dreams and be at their best and you know be the leaders and the people they wanted to be. So I thought, well, if that's the dream, why don't I just start now? And that's how Inner Radio started. And that's why I'm here right now talking to you. There's a few things I love about that. First of all, that you had the confidence and the will to actually follow what you dreamt of doing. And I think that there's so many of us who know what we want 
to do or what we would ideally want to be doing, but we come up with excuses or um, we have, you know, many things that stand, we allow stand in the way of being able to do what we really want to do. So kudos to you for, for making that happen. I think that that's really admirable and it's super inspiring. The other oh, thing I found, yeah. uh, sorry. There were definitely those voices, by the way. It wasn't as easy as the, that initial story makes it sound. I definitely threw up a bunch of barriers in my way. Oh, you know, I'll just do it on the side, you know, and then I realized, oh, Jen, you've never made time for anything on the side, so that's not going to work. Or, oh, okay. let me let me be, do more operating work. That'll make me a better coach if I spend more years as an operator. And then I was like, ugh, you know what would actually also make me a better coach is to just start coaching. So it was for sure a process of knocking down those barriers that I that I initially put in my way. But I appreciate you naming that process that we go through because it's not so simple sometimes. No, it's not at all. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting because I've heard that kind of language a lot. Like, I mean, I've also used this language, but I hear it a lot from friends and classmates who are like, oh, well, eventually I want to be doing this, but I can't do that yet. Like I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough, like I'm not old enough, whatever it is. So I'm going to do this thing first. And I've started to challenge whoever tells me that and also challenge myself whenever I find myself thinking that way um, as to, you know, why can't I actually just do the thing that I want to do um, and, and give it a try. Right. Um, so I mean, that's amazing, Jen. Like, I know that things always, you know, sound super simple and like they have a, a bow tied on them when you look backwards. But um, but I know that it must not have been easy um, throughout the process. Mm. Um, so that's that's exciting for you and, and great that you're living your dream. And the second like I'm living my dream. Sorry. I was saying, yeah, it, it really it really does feel like I'm living my dream. Good. I'm glad. The, the second thing that I found super interesting is, um, you know, I, uh, I thought that your background in sales, you know, must be helping you in running your business. Obviously, a big part of running a coaching business is selling your services. But I found it super interesting to hear you sharing about how the skills that you developed as a salesperson have also been transferable to you as a coach. Because um, that's just not something that I thought about before. What other ways do you think your sales background has helped you in your coaching? Ooh, yeah. Gosh, it's my sales background is just oozes in my coaching through and through. Um, so, I mean, it starts with listening, right? It's just not listening just to the words people are saying, but actually listening to everything that's going on in their body language and their pauses, listening for what they are saying, listening for what they aren't saying. Mm -hmm. um, and also just the curiosity. I mean, sales requires just relentless curiosity. Um, and just because someone is telling me something, if I don't understand it, it's not that, I don't know, I'm dumb or I didn't, un you know, that I should just have known it. There require It requires a curiosity and a, I think also a confidence to say like, hey, I didn't understand what you just said. Like, tell me more about that, right? Because I need to get super clear as a salesperson what's going on or else I can't drive the process. And similarly in coaching, when I hear a client 
say something that doesn't make sense that's contradicting what they said two minutes ago. I say, hey, 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 stop for a second. I mean, I have more leeway with them, I think, as as a coach to say, what was this? You said this two minutes ago. Now you're saying this. What's happening there? Right. So I think there's this courage in stepping over nothing that you have to have as a sales rep. Um, or else if you kind of ignore the thing that's in the room, it'll come back to bite you. And I think that's the same with coaching, where if we like ignore the thing in the room, then we're not actually going to get where we want to go. The excuses will come up. We're not actually breaking down the barriers that are needed to help people, you know, make the moves, experiment with new behaviors, try on new hats, whatever it is. So there's the, um, what did I say? There's the curiosity, there's the naming it, and oh, there's there's the accountability too. Because I mean, gosh, if this was so easy, no one would need a coach, right? People would just be able to do it themselves. So in sales, right, people aren't just going to do what they say they're going to do. Sometimes they need reminders. Sometimes they need to be held accountable to why they even started the searching process for a new product in the first place. Um, and so helping clients as a coach anchor to what they actually wanted. Because sometimes, you know, we distract ourselves with other things we think we want along the way. And so remembering, helping clients remember, saying, hey, remember, this is what you wanted. You wanted to create better relationships. You wanted to be a more powerful communicator. You wanted to delegate. You wanted to do X, Y, Z. Like, how does this, this, uh, this exchange we're talking about with your coworker fit into those goals? So kind of helping people hold them, hold themselves accountable to the goals they want out of coaching. That makes a lot of sense, Jen. And um, I think a lot of what you've mentioned here is what we in coaching speak call level three listening. And um, for those who aren't familiar with that term, it's kind of like the, um, you know, getting out of your own head and thinking more about like, what is the tone that the person's using? Like, like you said, Jen, you know, what are they not saying, right? And sometimes like what they're not saying can mean so much more or indicate so much more than what they are actually saying or thinking about the contradictions in what they're saying and just raising it, right? Like just saying, hey, this is contradictory. I mean, you might not or probably don't have the answer to why, but oh, yeah, absolutely just, <laughs> just raising that is so useful, right? So that makes a lot of sense to me that you know, you've been able to translate those skills into your your coaching work um, in addition to building your practice. And that's just wonderful. Yeah, it's just sales. I mean, every to me, everything sales. <laughs> so we're all selling all the time, whether we want to admit it to ourselves. Um, so it's cool uh, for me to get to, well, A, just build my own sales story for the business and also just help the people that I work with be stronger in sales because sometimes we're selling other people on our ideas and our dreams and our value. And sometimes we're selling ourselves on our ideas, our dreams and our values. A hundred percent. And I think both are super valuable skills. Well, that's great, Jen. I, um, I also want to, to learn more about like, as a coach, how has that helped you grow as a person? Oh man, <laughs> painful but necessary. Uh, 
it like, man, if I am going to help clients get out of their vortexes, like I, I can't be in the same vortex. Um, so what that means is, let's say if some of my clients come to me and they are it's like, oh, just in that busy achievement, boom, back to back, back to back mindset, um, like for me to help them zoom out, level up, like understand the big picture, I can't also be back to back to back to back. And I learned that by trying to be <laughs> back to back to back to back, and it didn't work very well. I think my coaching suffered for it. And so what that taught me is just how to protect my time. Um, and that in understanding what's required of me to be the best coach I can be. So it's just been such a process of, yeah, learning how to protect my time, learning how to say no gracefully, which ultimately is a skill that a lot of my clients are trying to adopt too. So I think that's a win-win there. Like I get to model it <laughs> and then um, we get to work in the sessions about how they create that space for, for themselves. Um, so that's one piece of it. Another piece is, especially through my work, through interpersonal dynamics at Stanford, um, there's so much about owning my piece. <laughs> yeah, I hear, I see articles or whatever saying like, you know, how to work with difficult people, right? As if I have nothing to do with the situation. <laughs> but the thing is with relationships, it's a two-way street, right? It takes, it takes two to tango. And so me actually being able to reflect on myself, okay, what are my tendencies? What are, what do I, bring to the table? What are my stories and assumptions and behaviors that land well or wh whatever it is? Because I am, uh, I am part of the problem, <laughs> but I used to think being part of the problem was something to avoid. Like I would just like try to deflect blame and oh, it's someone else. It's not me. It's not, I'm not part of the problem, but now admitting I'm part, accepting I'm part of the problem is actually very freeing. It's just, if I'm part of the problem, then that means I can be part of the solution. So there's an agency behind it and a shift in my thinking there. So for me, it's just polishing. It's a continual polishing and scrubbing of who am I? What do I value? Like, what am I bringing to this relationship? And just, you know, it's, it's impossible to see myself clearly because I'm in it, but trying to see myself a little bit more clearly by perhaps being more honest and more open to where my blind spots blind spots are and getting more clarity on what those are by working with other people. Hmm. Wow. There's so much you shared there. I want to dive into the, the first part of what you shared where you spoke about, you know, if you're trying to help a client who's back to back to back, you yourself can't be back to back to back because you might not be in the right headspace then to help them. And I think that's one of the things that's so beautiful about the coaching profession is that the coach uh, himself or herself or themselves needs to help themselves be the best version of themselves so that they can bring themselves to 
the coaching session and the, that best version of themselves there. Um, and that just involves like living a great lifestyle, right? Like reading a lot, uh, being healthy, um, you know, taking care of yourself, um, focusing on your own mental health. And um, I think that there aren't many jobs out there that that really, you know, require you to, to be that level of healthy on so many dimensions in order for you to be successful at your job. Um, I can think of so many opposites, right, where like um, – People will, will, you know, cut sleep. They will, um, you know, eat fast food. They will cut going to the gym so that they can, like, put in more hours um, in what they do, right? And and that does, you know, at least in the short term until they reach burnout, um, you know, result in, in higher production. Well, yeah, I totally have a thought on that because um, right, the idea that we're talking about is that, wow, for me to actually do my job, I have to be well-rested and thinking right and, you know, all these things in place. And so I actually think like management is that job, right? Like if my job is to manage people, like sure, there's one thing if I just need to crank out spreadsheets or whatever it is, but if my job is to manage people and build that connection and empower them and whatever it might be. Like, how can I do my job with people if I am not well-rested, if I'm burnt out, if I'm whatever it is? So I actually think that there's opportunity for a mentality shift saying that, hey, me being at my best is part of my job. And me putting in an extra three hours tonight is actually not going to make me better at my job if my job is leading people. Absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine like what, uh, how much better of a, a work world we would live in if more people and more companies adopted that mindset, right? Um, because I do believe that people will make that sacrifice and in the short term, it will lead to higher output, but eventually it just leads to burnout, dissatisfaction, um, maybe even mental health challenges. So mm. I agree with you, like um, to be a manager under those circumstances is super hard, right? And you you want to be taking care of yourself so that you can take care of your team, just like uh, a coach would, right? Yeah. And, you know, part of me thinks some of it stems from just the fear of no, like what if I actually set some boundaries? What if I say, no, I'm not able to do this. What I am able to do is X. I think there's a fear or I think we start negotiating with ourselves earlier than we need to, instead of just saying, Hey, this is what's happening, you know, to their boss or manager or whoever, like, this is what I need to get this done. This is what I need to get that done. What do you want me to prioritize? Like, help me out here. Like there, there are ways to say no gracefully. This is another thing from sales because in sales, we have to say no all the time. So how do we say, no, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. Um, I, I, don't ha- I don't have a better word than gracefully right now. <laughs> um, that still feels like we're on the same team. Absolutely, Jen. For sure. I think for a lot of people that can be a difficult conversation to have and it, but it also requires a, a level of introspection, right? 
to even understand like, what is it that I need? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think that that's something to be aspired to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, I think it takes courage to be able to say, Hey, this is what I need right now. And so, you know, something else from interpersonal dynamics that I have taken away from facilitating the course is how do we approach our relationships with both courage and care? Because certainly, you know, I might be, might feel courageous or risky to, I don't know, like put everyone on blast, but there's not a lot of care for the relationship there. And so how do I care for myself? How do I care for other people and be courageous in the process? Right. And I think uh, sometimes having the courage to speak out and deliver something challenging to someone is an act of care, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think as a participant in the course, that's something that was really hard for me to learn. As a very conflict-averse person who still struggles with that, (laughs) the course helped to push me more to at least understand that in some cases it is helpful to both parties to voice, you know, uh, something that might be challenging, right? Like could be potentially hurtful to someone or um, in business speak, like, you know, uh, what do we say? Like encouraging feedback or no critical feedback or something like that. Um, Feedback. That's right. That's the word I was looking for. So, um, yeah, like learning about that, that balance, um, has been interesting. Right. And I can only imagine like as a facilitator, helping guide people through that discovery, um, must be one incredibly challenging, um, because there's a different balance for everybody. That's right. Um, but also super rewarding. Mm, Yeah. I think what's super rewarding is it's helping people get past right that voice. Even when you said, "Hey, I'm super conflict avoidant," there's a reason for that. There's some inner critic voice happening that's it, that's like driving that hesitation. And I think we all have that inner critic voice of, "Oh, you know, why would anyone listen to me? Why would anyone listen to me on this podcast, Jenna? I'm just a random person." Or, you know, I always do X, so I'm never going to be able to do Y. Who am I to even think that's possible? Or I must be the only person thinking or feeling this way. What's wrong with me? Someone else would do it better. So there's always that voice. And I mean, it's an onslaught. I I think of inner critics as kind of drama queens. Um, I know that's a totally gendered word. So if there, I can't, if there, someone can think of, if someone listening to this can think of a gender neutral world for drama queens, I'm all for it. Because what they do is they take the 1% truth and just blow it up to epic proportions that drives the fear, fear, fear in us. So helping people get over, not silence the inner critic. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Cause I mean, it's going to be there. I think it's just how much power we give it. So I think, you know, I work with clients a lot about how to dial it down. You know, your life is not your inner critics show. I mean, it's your show. It's your stage, your choices. Um, so, you know, for me, what better reward than for a client to you know, get their arms around, get a handle on their inner critic, discover their inner leader, which is kind of the entity used to quiet the inner critic that, that I use in coaching. Um, 
to then be able to turn to their inner critic and say, oh, that's so silly. That's just not true. Like, let's get on with it. Let's get out of the way. Absolutely, Jen. And I think this topic of the inner critic is a huge one. And for me, the first time I ever discovered it was actually in this course. Um, You know, I had never, I'd always had this voice, but I didn't really think that other people did, or it's just not something that I had ever talked to anyone about. And um, it's isolating. It was isolating. um, And it was also like, you know, very sad, but also somewhat comforting to learn that I'm not alone um, and that it's it's normal. And I think um, it's something that I've done a lot of personal work on over the past year. And um, I really love what you said about like, it's not about silencing the inner critic or the saboteur or whatever you want to call it. It's more about like, understanding where it's coming from, right? And for me, what has been most helpful is starting to think about my inner critic or the multiple inner critics that I could have as members of my team and me being the leader of that team. And if I were leading a team and one of my team members came to me and and complained about something, right? Like really loudly, like, how, how would I react to them, right? Like how I would react is I would listen to them. I would try and make them feel heard. I would try and understand like, what is it at the bottom of it that they really want, right? Like maybe the messaging is wrong, but like, what is the point, right? Of bringing this concern and then deciding like as the team leader, you know, I get to decide what I want to do with that complaint and that information, right? Like I want to make the critic feel heard um, that's important, but whether I actually act on what they're saying is, it's a different story. And that's helped me so, so much in my life. Um, because I think what's dangerous here is some people end up, um, saying, oh, I want to silence my inner critic and like being mad at their inner critic and, and kind of having this internal battle, um, where the, the team analogy has helped me so much because, it helps me to extend kindness to myself um, and choose parts of myself that, you know, sometimes I don't like what they're saying, but they're still a part of my team. Oh, I, I love that. I love that. It's, they're part of the team. And yeah, they get, they get a voice, but they don't get to drive the car. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and sometimes they can be an annoying backseat driver, but still maybe, you know, there, there's a reason there's, there's still a value. There's good intentions behind there. It's, you know, I think it's a fear of instability, a fear of change and transition and uncertainty, which, you know, I think are, are healthy re- reactions, um, just not when they're, you know, dialed up way too high. Absolutely. I think that it's all about, uh, you know, controlling it, right? And, and uh, being kind towards yourself as well. Yeah. Noticing it. And then, you know, similar to what we were talking about before we say like, Hey, here's what I'm noticing. Let me reflect back. And now we're at choice with what we do with that information. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think that that's coming up here too. Like, Hey, this is what my inner leader, sorry, inner critic is saying, Hey, this is like actually what my inner inner leader, like what that energy is telling me to do. And now I get to make choices. 
Totally. And I want to go back to something that you were talking about before. So you said that a, a big learning for you was uh, learning about the the ownership over your feelings and the role that that you play in your feelings. And that's something that you've learned from interpersonal dynamics. And um, I'm curious how um, how that's shown up in the way that you coach. Mm. <laughs> yeah, owning our piece of the story. So I think the way that this most often appears in my coaching is helping people understand the stories that we make up in our heads about what's going on. Um, and this happens a lot with just like conflict or negotiation or, hey, there's just a, like a weird situation going on. And instead of just um, avoiding it or ignoring it and letting it go, grow bigger and bigger, how do we say, hey, this thing happened and kind of the story in my head is that you might think I, uh, I don't know, I, I left you off the thread by accident or I was trying to, I cut you off or something. And I don't have that to be, I don't know that that's true. So I just wanted to check it out with you. Right, so how do we use, how do we recognize that the story, how, how, how to frame this? How do we recognize what's actually just going on in our heads and not project that onto other people when it might not be true. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause often, um, I'm just taking a second to think about this. I think often what happens is that to like influence or influence is a two-way street. Like if I am not being, if I am not open to being influenced by you, like I'm probably not going to influence you. Uh, And so if I come into a situation (laughs) (laughs) not owning my own stuff saying like, you are the problem. Like Jenna, you are the problem. I am an angel. Right. Jenna, how, how likely are you (laughs) to be open to having like a productive exchange with me and open to admitting yourself, right? Zero. No, there's (laughs) zero chance. (laughs) Zero chance. So for me, I just, recognizing what's going on or even recognizing that I'm not sure what's going on, I think is a way to open the door to soften some of the edges that people have as they enter a conversation mm-hmm. that's filled with uncertainty and maybe uh, some, some big feelings. Right. I think uh, this reminds me actually of one of the, the facilitators when I was a participant in the class and she actually had a really strong aversion to the language you made me feel, which mm. is, you know, very colloquial, very common language like, oh, when you uh, counseled, you made me feel sad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she felt that that wasn't taking responsibility for for your feelings. And she instead preferred the language when you canceled, I felt sad, right? Because sure. the canceling is the action that that you did, but the being sad is is you know your own feelings that that you need to take responsibility for, right? 
And um, that was also a big lesson learned for me in the class that, you know, the only thing that I personally can control is my actions. And I can't necessarily control what happens based on those actions in terms of the feelings that that other people have. Um, and and that was a really interesting discovery because um, before the class, I had had felt that I needed to be responsible, you know, for how people felt about things, even if um, I had accidentally made someone feel sad or angry. Mm -hmm. Um, I I thought that it was my fault and that I was still responsible. Um, So that was a very interesting lesson. Yeah, that's such a, that's a really interesting point because, um, yeah, I can't control how you feel. Um, What I can control is my reaction to you telling me how you feel. Exactly. And if I did something, you know, and I don't know, it didn't land well as I intended. And you tell me, hey, I don't know, when, I guess in your example, when you when you canceled, I felt sad. You know, I have choices, right? If I react and say, oh, I like, oh, that that really bums me out that you were sad. I didn't that mean I didn't mean that at all. Yeah. You know? Or I could just, and sometimes I see, like, explain it away. Like, oh, but uh, but I had this thing. It was so important. Right. <laughs> and so I think we have choices. Um, yeah. In terms of how we repair some of those feelings. Like, negative feelings are going to happen. We're going we're gonna to create those in other people because we're just two different people. We're not mind readers. So of course, some, some misses are going to take place. I think it's about how we, uh, yeah, own our piece of it and then try to repair it together. You're right, Jen. The repairing piece is a big part of it too. And that that was another huge lesson learned for me uh, in the class is that, you know, basically, you know, things happen. And, and when someone comes to you and gives you that critical feedback, you should first make sure that they feel heard, right? I think that's where you see a lot of arguments, like when you witness arguments or you're part of an argument, you see it escalate when people kind of just talk past each other, right? Like <laughs> someone says like, you you know, I'm, I'm angry. And then the other person just like says something completely different. It's like, no one took a moment to acknowledge that the person feels angry. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to be responsible for it. But it's still important that the person that's expressing themselves feels heard. Um, Um, And that can allow you to actually move faster. (laughs) Oh, you mean instead of just explaining ourselves over and over and over again and not getting anywhere? I mean, you could do that for literally hours. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, sometimes when we receive critical feedback, there's just you know, I think it all has to, goes back to this inner critic. There's this like judgment of like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm not that kind of person who makes other people feel bad. So there's just like a defense mechanism sometimes pops up. And I think that judgment, whether of ourselves or other people can just kind of eject us from the conversation. We just stop, we just stop hearing. And that's when the round, round and round we go explaining ourselves and not actually listening to the other person or connecting in any way gets really tough. So you know, some, you know, with the class, it really, I learned to slow down and also stay in it. 
you know, slow down. What's actually happening here? What am I feeling? What is this actually about? What am I bringing to this dynamic? What am I hearing? Um, Am I, is what I'm hearing matching what you're trying to say? And yeah, just trying to stay in it with the other person instead of what I see sometimes is we get all shaken up by the fact that there's, you know, a degree of tension in the room. And then we just try to kind of, I don't know, move on to another topic or ignore it. And, you know, that's not necessarily, I I think that's a missed opportunity to strengthen the relationship. Totally. No, I mean, I think that's a, a, I've certainly done that before. I think a lot of us have disengaged before, right? Like something's just too heated or too personal or our inner critic is too loud. And so it's easier to just disengage than to stay in it, like you said, right? And challenging yourself to do that. There's a lot of personal growth opportunities there. Yeah, I think so. Um, And we've talked a lot about the inner critic. And I know I've mentioned a couple of times this concept about the inner leader, but I just, I I wanted to give that some airtime yeah. Because like similar to, you know, we're human. So of course, what do we do? We just gravitate towards the negative, 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 because it's like a survival instinct that's hardwired in us. Oh, this inner critic, let's get rid of it, gets rid of it. When there's actually this, for me, this counterbalance of uh of the inner leader that I don't that I don't know gets talked about enough. What do you think? I don't think so. It, the first time I heard about this concept was during my coactive coaching courses. It, mm-hmm. I don't think it even came up in the interpersonal dynamics class, and mm-hmm. it also didn't come up in the coaching course that I took at Stanford either. Uh, yeah. It, and, you know, what I think is so cool about just the concept of the inner leader is that, like, for me in my practice – the inner leader is the fuel that powers the coaching. And what I mean by inner leader is like, who are you when you feel most yourself? Who are you at your best? And it's that state of flow, whatever the verbiage is. But I think a lot of the work in coaching is remembering who we are at our best and remembering that it's already inside us. Mm. And that the work is about discovering that part and bringing more of that into other parts of our lives and practicing over and over again, accessing those values, that richness, that, you know, the well of creativity and compassion and courage over and over again so that we are that person more often. Um, You know, ultimately, I think that's when we feel the most freedom and openness and confidence. There's a presence and a trust in that state. And you know, with that level three listening you were referring to, you can, like, you can feel it from the other person. I mean, I had a conversation with a client recently. They were talking about like geeking out over figuring out their family tree and they're just so animated. They're like, oh, they told me, girl, I effing love it. You know, like in that way, with that energy and that aliveness, I'm like, man, that is inner leader juice right there. What is that? Who are you when you were doing that? What do you believe? What are your qualities? All that good stuff. Let's capture that and bring that more places. Yep. No, Jen, I, um, it's making me think more about how I can bring my inner leader into more parts of my life, right? Because that's ultimately the goal. Um mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like figuring out, you know, 
how do you feel when you're at your best? And and how can you bring that into the parts of your life that need more energy or attention? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who do you, who is your inner, who is your inner leader? If you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then I'll ask you the same question right oh, back because I think it'll be great to make this kind of abstract concept a little yeah. bit more tangible for, for the audience. And for me, my inner leader is me when I'm dancing salsa and it's an amazing song that I love and I'm dancing exactly on the right beats and I feel super free and super happy and everything just feels like it's in the right place at the right time and there's just nothing else in the world that matters in that moment. And it's it's such a beautiful, freeing feeling. Um, and I was so fortunate to to spend uh, this past Christmas in Colombia at a salsa festival in Cali. And uh, it was three or four days of just nonstop dancing. And it was the happiest I've just ever been in my life. And um I would really love to challenge myself to bring this feeling into other parts of my life because right now I feel like it's pretty much just isolated in in dancing. Well, how are you, how are you feeling right now just remembering that dance festival and describing dancing. Yeah, like I feel super excited like it makes me want to go dancing. Um Yeah. And, and I could even listening to you just now. Sorry? I got goosebumps listening to you just now, just, just describing your, your inner leader. It's funny, Jen, because uh, I also felt that when you first started talking about the inner leader like a few seconds ago or maybe a minute ago, that you were also thinking about your own because I heard the tone in your voice change. I heard you kind of uh, sounding a bit more uplifted and and kind of excited and energized. Um, so I'm curious, who is yours? Yeah, I have a lot of conviction around just like the concept of, a, of the inner leader, because I think it's just, I mean, for me, it was a big shift being like, oh, you mean I already got it? <laughs> like, I, there's not something I have to go grasp and learn and read in order to like get access to this. It's already in me. Like, wow. That was just such a big, um, just a, a big realization for me. Uh, so Mine, I call the dream drummer. Um, for me, there's a there's a playfulness that comes up with drumming and music, and I, I know you'll enjoy this because I know how much you love salsa and who you are when when you're when you're dancing. So for me, with music and rhythm, there's something just so captivating. Right? We feel it in our bodies, and I think it allows just our life force to come out. So I see. I'll just relate it to coaching. I see the the leaders I work with as the the lead singer or the star dancer, right? They are the star of their own show called Life. And, you know, if I just said, hey, Jenna, it just start singing or just start dancing from pure silence, you know, just show me who you are. I think the image that comes to mind for me is someone I, someone's eyes just getting kind of big and freezing. You know, it's pretty hard to start without any momentum. I think that's a tough ask. So for me, when I think of this dream drummer, you know, the, what a drummer does is it kind of counts you in, right? Like what a difference it makes. Five, six, seven, eight, dun, 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 right? It's, it's a bridge, right? It's an invitation. It helps people find their rhythm and relax and dive, do, dive into this. It's a kind of like a let's do this together vibe. And 
I, I love that. And when I think about the drumbeat and bringing people in and being on stage together, there's just an energy that I get. Um, yeah, that I want to share with everyone else. So it's a good show. <laughs> I love that, Jen. That's so exciting. <laughs> I would love to see you actually drumming one day. Oh my God, I would like to see me drumming one day. I don't know. <laughs> I think what's so cool is that like your, your, this image that you have is like, it's so perfect for you. And it's also very abstract, right? Like, in the sense that you don't actually drum. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't. It's, and sometimes I think the more abstract, the better. I think it just brings out our, our creativity. That's what I was going to say. Like, it's, it really speaks to your creativity, right? Um, you. and, and that's truly amazing. Jen, I have loved this episode so, so, so much. I want to close by asking you one final question. Please. The question is, what is your peak mindset? Oh, my peak mindset. Oh, you know, this is top of mind. I was, uh, I was reflecting on this on my walk this morning. Um, a handle I have discovered before, but sometimes need rediscovering is just this phrase that it's just, it's just not a big deal. And that's not nonchalant. That's not like nothing matters. Just, it's just when I find myself kind of tightening up into this big hairy knot, it's typically when I take these little things and turn them into a big deal when they're really not. And the only person not being served in the whole process is me. Um, and so when I can say to myself, oh, forgot this, oh, drop that, oh, whatever it is, and kind of say, hey, okay, big picture, let's zoom out here. That's not, that's not a big deal. Like me, I don't know, me forgetting something, uh, or you, we were talking about interpersonal dynamics, right? So you saying that thing to me, like, I, I don't, like not every single, you know, pinch, I guess if you would say, is a big deal. Like what is a big deal is our relationship. Um, but I think it maybe it is about prioritization. So that phrase of, Hey, maybe this isn't a big deal helps me prioritize and not escalate everything in my, in my mind to high alert, because when everything is on high alert, then nothing matters. Mm, absolutely, Jen. Yeah. I don't know. Does that, <laughs> how does that land for you? I, I love your peak mindset. And I also love that you thought about this on your walk this morning. Oh, yeah, got to. I take walking. I work from home. So I, I take walks every morning, sometimes in the afternoons, too, um, just to get a, get a new perspective. You know, just it, that's, mm. again, a different geography helps me get into a deep, a different mindset. So that's also just a, a, a helpful tool to get me to shake things up a little bit when I need it. Mm, indeed it does. Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been such an honor to have you as a guest. Yeah, what fun. This was great. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. My pleasure.